Listen to this portion of the story of God as it is written in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. The story of God told for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right, full disclosure, this is not one of my favorite scriptures. It's not even one of my favorite parts of 1 Corinthians. Uh, it seems boring to me. There are stories and statements in the Bible that make my blood pump, that make my mind race and my spirit soar. This, however, has not been one of them. And it's because it's not because these words from Paul aren't popular. These are extremely popular words. If we've ever attended a wedding, we've heard these words. If we've ever been married, these words were probably read at our wedding. Paul is famous for these words. The Bible is famous for these words. These might be the most recognized part of the entire Bible, perhaps second only to John 3:16 for God so loved the world. Still, when I hear this scripture, my eyes glaze over and my mind wanders away and not into thoughts of my wife or love in general, just away. I tune it out like white noise or Charlie Brown's teacher. No doubt one of the reasons that I struggle to connect with this scripture is precisely because I've heard it so many times. Been there, done that. I get it. Love is really, really good. Check. What's next? As I studied and prepared for this teaching, I did my best to move beyond this know-it-all attitude that I have with 1 Corinthians 13. I read different translations and commentaries. I dug up obscurities about the Greek words that Paul uses when he writes this. I tried hard to find out why this scripture doesn't seize my attention or engage me. And in spite of all that research, I could only come to one conclusion. I'm a little messed up. I know that that shocks a lot of you that I have issues, but it's true. I'm fairly certain that I am the problem here, not the scripture. The good news is for me that if I'm the problem, then there's going, there should be some areas that I can develop and work on. That there should be some steps that are going to make this better. That's the good news for me. The bad news for you is that you get to be my therapist this morning and let me deal with my issues in front of you. So I apologize for that. But I want to let you know that so far as I've gone through this, I've been able to discern three areas where my issues are. The first is that Paul would probably say, I think like a child. Not that that's wrong. It's just not getting the bigger picture. That I failed to grasp the context for what's going on in Corinth when Paul writes these words, why Paul wrote these words. 
The second thing is that Paul would probably say that I see love through a mirror dimly. This silver circle here on the screen, that is actually a mirror dug up in Corinth. So that is a Corinthian mirror. They were famous for making these mirrors. And you can see how they might say that you see in a mirror dimly. It is a, actually a piece of steel and tied to it would be like a scrubbing stone that you would scrub the mirror to try to get a little polish on it. But it's not like the mirrors that we're used to. And I think Paul would probably say that I see love in that kind of mirror. The third, third problem area is that Paul would say I'm not doing the face-to-face work. That I keep this scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, at a safe distance not eyeball to eyeball where it can actually impact me and change me. I'm more comfortable leaving it on the pillows and unity candles and etched into wedding frames where I can just dismiss it as benign, irrelevant, white noise. So three things, context, clarity, and closeness. Let's talk about context because without it, I end up sleeping through this scripture like a child in church. Not this child, but most children. With all due deference and respect to weddings, I have to confess right off the bat that my context for 1 Corinthians 13 is warped precisely because of all the weddings. The truth is this chapter has absolutely nothing to do with weddings. What Paul is doing here has nothing to do with romance or marriage. To put it bluntly, Paul is throwing the church at Corinth under the bus with these words. His words about love, what love is in chapter 13 are directly related to everything that the Corinthians were doing wrong. So chapter 13 is actually a corrective lecture from Paul to the church in Corinth. He's not trying to give them warm fuzzies about love. He's trying to give them a kick in the pants. We've heard all this summer the first 12 chapters of Corinthians, and we've heard what they were doing and the ways that the, the faith community there was messing up. Chapter 3 of Corinthians tells us, that in the church, they were boastful. So Paul says, love never boasts. Chapter 5 says that they were puffed up and arrogant, even when they were wrong. So Paul says, love is never arrogant and does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Chapter 6 indicates that they were unwilling to suffer or endure hardship and instead repeatedly took each other to court. So Paul says, love bears all things, endures all things, and does not insist on getting its own way. Chapter 8 has the Corinthians arguing over which was the right way to believe about meat that had been sacrificed to idols. So Paul says, love is patient and believes all things. Chapter 12 shows that they were envious of each other and resentfully comparing and ranking their spiritual gifts, trying to show that some of them were more important than others. So Paul says, love is kind and never resentful or envious. This is not... A precious moments figurine. This is Paul getting in the face of the Corinthian church. He is countering their behavior with opposite statements, telling them that their attitudes and behaviors are unacceptable. Now, just knowing that about chapter 13 makes it seem a little more interesting to me and a little less like something we should stitch on a pillow. If I slow down and think about it, I can also recognize that Paul's words are directly tied to the Corinthians' bad behavior by what Paul leaves out. Because let's be honest, this is a great definition. It's certainly poetic, but there's some crucial ideas about love missing from this definition. Paul doesn't say anything about love sacrificing or pursuing. Paul doesn't say love saves, love rescues, 
or love's help or love helps even at great cost to the self. Those are pretty important aspects of love, but they get no mention because they didn't speak directly to the bad behavior of the Corinthians. So then we have to be honest that Paul wasn't trying to write the ultimate definition of love. Paul didn't even think he was writing scripture. Paul was writing a letter to his friends in Corinth to get them to stop acting like a bunch of knuckleheads. They were mistreating each other and they were doing it in the name of love or the name of Jesus or the name of their faith or the name of spiritual gifts. Paul rejects all that and writes this definition at their behaviors and provides these little baby steps of how they can better move forward. Now, even though Paul meant this description of love as baby steps, and even though it's not complete, it's still a pretty dang good definition of love. It's still big enough and challenging enough to me to reveal that I don't understand love the same way Paul did. And that's my second problem with this, second problem area with this text, is that I don't have clarity on exactly what love is. I see love through a mirror dimly. In my defense, I think love's a tricky thing to understand. Just think about the different ways that we use this word love. It can be terribly confusing. We say things like, I love my wife, I love my kids. All right, fair enough. But then we also say, I love the Spurs and I love the Olympics. If that doesn't throw you off, we could probably go some song titles. Love hurts, love bites, love stinks. I love the way you love me. You give love a bad name. Okay, I really just dated myself with all those. But that's all right. All you people from the 80s, you get me. It's confusing. And even past that, we have, we, sometimes we say, say things like, I love Game of Thrones. Or I love it when it rains. So we have people, sports teams, events, songs, TV shows, seasons, colors. List of things that we love goes on and on, confusing us more and more. Wrestling with this very confusion, Dallas Willard wrote these words. We have a terrible time understanding love because we confuse it with desire. We say things like, I love chocolate cake. Now, for sure, we do not love chocolate cake. We want to eat it. That's different. I suppose you could imagine someone who actually loved chocolate cake. They'd just go around taking care of chocolate cakes, watching out for their best interests. We have an awfully hard time today making sense of love because we're so confused on these matters. But once we pay attention, we realize that desire is not love and is often opposed to love. In this country, every 15 seconds, some woman is badly beaten, maybe killed by someone usually one who says he loves her. So what is love? At least, what is the love about which Paul is writing? As we already learned, Paul is not writing about romance. He's not writing about marriage. And according to Dallas Willard, he's not writing about desire. It would seem that the love about which Paul writes is much bigger than I am used to thinking about. It's too big of a thing to simply be between two romantic people. Thinking that love begins in my heart and goes to the object of my affection is just too small. To Paul, love doesn't seem to be an emotion or a feeling we simply give or receive. It is not even something we merely experience. Instead, Paul sees love as that which transforms our experience of everything. Now, don't miss that. We don't just experience love. Love transforms our experiences. All of our emotions, all of our feelings and experiences are fundamentally changed by love. 
I know that to be true, and I hope you do too. I know the kind of love Paul is talking about, the kind that changes me, the kind that makes me see things differently and understand things that previously eluded me, the kind that transforms the very core of who I am. I know that kind of love. Now, to make sure that the Corinthians understand just how important that kind of love is to this reality, Paul places it alongside faith and hope, two really good and really powerful parts of life. I don't even want to imagine this life without faith and hope. Faith and hope are really important to me. They have definitely done more than I recognize to get me through life. Paul agrees. He thinks faith and hope are important. And this is precisely why he places them alongside love. It's not that Paul doesn't think faith and hope are important. It's that he recognizes they are temporary. Now, I know it's kind of blurry here, but this, this painting, this is El Greco's, sorry if I say this wrong, if there's artists in the room, Triptych Modena. Anybody want to throw something at me? Okay, we'll call that right. Um, in the bottom here, which is tried to blow it up here, is that's the, the, the bigger picture is the crucifixion. And in the foreground of the crucifixion, you have three characters. That's faith, hope, and love from this scripture. Can anybody guess which one's love? The, the one in the middle with the children. Artists have long understood that Love is known by its offspring, that it continues, that it doesn't die. It goes on forever. So faith and hope are on either side, but love's in the middle with four or five kids there in her arms and grabbing at her legs. Now, I know that there are people who live without faith and who live without hope. I know there are those in the world right now who face situations that are hopeless and whose circumstances cause them to abandon or avoid faith. But according to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we cannot live without love. Love is what allows us to be alive. It was God's love that created a space for our existence in the first place. It is God's love that sustains us, even the hopeless and the faithless. Love is woven into the very fabric of reality, the matrix of creation. It is the language God speaks to us and through us. And according to Paul, It has always been, and it will never cease. My faith, meaning the trust that I have in God or religion or doctrine, will ultimately be verified or crushed. My hope or those expectations that I have that certain things will happen will ultimately be realized or destroyed. But love began with God, and like God, it will never end. It flows from God surrounding us like a river, moving us along, allowing us to share in the flow. It is the one thing that we share with all of humanity. No one has ever been, is now, or will ever be outside of God's love. We all exist within God's love, whether we recognize it or not. Love is also our invitation from God. The work of love, as Paul points out, is something we were created to do with God. We are supposed to join God in loving others. Which brings me to my third problem area with this scripture, and that's closeness. I haven't really let Paul's context and instructions to the Corinthians or his understanding of love affect me. I've kept this text at a safe, boring, unchallenging, stitched-on-a-pillow distance. I have to ask myself why I do that. I think... Because something in me has recognized that love is exactly what Paul says it is, the language of the kingdom, 
the currency in which I'm supposed to traffic, the job I was born to do, the partnership I have with God. And I'm afraid I can't do it or that if I try, I won't do it very well. I can remember all the times that I have behaved with hate and indifference. And I can recall things that I have said and done that look nothing like love. When Stacy and I started in ministry, we started in prison. Many of you probably think that that's apt. But we were young, and I would go into these prisons and end up in high security with, with high-level offenders, violent offenders, murderers. And I'd spend four or five days on retreats with these guys, and by the end of it, I loved them. I had no problem putting my arms around them, telling them that I loved them. We had a bond in our faith that went past their transgressions. And I built relationships with, like that with a lot of, lot of inmates, a lot of bad guys. About that same time, I also had a, a job in the marketplace. And I had a boss that I really loved. Um, he was a great man, great teacher, great mentor. Took me under his wing and taught me a lot of things. One, one time we were on a uh, business trip, business conference, and after the, the day's events had wound down, I went to bed. And my boss and some of my coworkers went out. And the next morning, when I found out that they had what they had done, which I'm not going to tell you, um, I was really disappointed in them. I felt like I had been greatly let down by my mentor, by this leader that his behavior was not appropriate and that I needed to stand up in the name of Jesus and defend what's right and what they had done was not right. And so I was content to quit this job. And I called my dad and told him what was going on. My dad said he'd meet me for lunch and so he met, for, met me for lunch and he let me tell the story of all the bad things my boss and co-workers had done and how fed up with them I was and how I was going to take a stand for Jesus. And he just listened. And as we were walking to the car in the parking lot, he said, you know, I've seen you put your arm around murderers and tell them that you love them and you forgive them. How come you won't do that for your boss? Man, leveled me. It's always, I've always had an easier time loving the unlovable. It's always been easier for me to love someone who is condemned judged and thrown away than it has been for me to love the powerful and the elite and the chosen. I also tend to love really well when everything's going the way that I want it to go. But the first moment things aren't as I think they should be, watch out. Because what's coming out of me probably is not going to be love. My ability to love seems to be so fickle, tied to those that I think should be loved, the way that I want to give love, and in the time and places I choose to give love. Now, it doesn't sound too much like what Paul described. It sounds more like control. So as I was doing this, I tried to write an honest Daryl version of 1 Corinthians 13 as my life has communicated it. So give it a listen and tell me what you think. I am patient, except when I'm tired, busy, or in a hurry. I am kind, unless someone treats me unfairly or disrespects me. I am not usually envious or boastful or arrogant or rude, 
But if you have something I want or think I deserve, I will distance myself from you in jealousy and judgment. And if I have something good or I have accomplished something great, you better believe I'll let you know about it. I don't insist on having my way unless I know that my way is right or righteous. I am not irritable or resentful unless people don't do things my way or think like I think. I don't rejoice in wrongdoing except when people get the wrongdoing they deserve. I don't rejoice in the truth. I do rejoice in the truth, especially when my truth is proven right. I can bear a lot of things when it comes to my friends and family. I can believe most things unless they go against my beliefs. I can share others' hope except when those hopes aren't in my best interest. I can endure all the things I think are reasonable. When I was a child, I learned the basic principles of life. By the time I had become an adult, I had it all figured out. It is very important that I stick to those principles and not allow myself to be swayed or influenced. Someday I will ultimately be vindicated and praised for my unwavering discipline and defense. Everything else will pass away, but I will be proven right. I don't know if you can. Hey, thank you. All right. I don't know if you can identify with that. If you can, don't worry, because I'm right there with you. This is why I have kept 1 Corinthians 13 at arm's length. Because love is hard work, and I fail at it all the time. I somehow feel unworthy, unwilling, or uninspired to be involved in the work of love. I convince myself that it is too hard and that I'm not good enough, and I am so eager to put Paul's words away back on a pillow and let them be about romance and marriage safely tucked away at weddings. But now that I know what I know, I'm not sure I can do that anymore. I can't hide from love behind my failures because Paul says that love keeps no record of wrongs. I can't resign from love because it's hard because Paul says that love bears all things and endures all things. I can't hold back from love because I lack inspiration because Paul says that love believes all things and hopes all things. I think I know too much. I can't unsee what I've seen. I can't untaste what I've tasted. I know that love is not just a gift or my job or my destiny. It's my identity. I know that I exist to receive love and to give it away, to be devoted to the good of others, to work for their highest good. I know that I come from love. I exist in love. And I'm called to love. And no matter how much I mess it up, love never fails. Paul says it goes on forever. Context, clarity, and closeness. Now that I have it for 1 Corinthians 13, it doesn't seem to be so boring to me. I hope the next time that I hear it at a wedding or see it stitched on a pillow that I remember who God is, who you are, and who I am. You may know the song that reminds us, they will know we are Christians by our love. I guess I just never considered that I was part of the they. That my love doesn't just tell others who I am. It reminds me too. Let's pray together. God of love, we bless you and thank you for your Apostle Paul and the church at Corinth. We are grateful that we get to stand on their shoulders to see and learn. We want to be about love.
We ask for your help in surrendering every single obstacle or defect of character that stands in the way of our loving you and your people well. Give us strength and spirit as we go from this place to show the world the love from which we came, the love in which we live, and the love that we are called to give away. In the name of Yeshua. Amen.